0: Gracious and loving God, we come together to find a sense of peace, hope, um, to experience your presence. Having heard the words of Prophet Amos, and having sung songs of praise, we pray that you would continue to speak to us, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a number of small groups that are starting up uh, over the past week, and one of the ones that's coming up is based off of the kind of idea, the Enneagram, and we've been talking a little bit about this, introducing it, and people keep coming up to me and being like, what's the Enneagram, or they'd be talking to Bree, who's directing our small groups, and asking about it, and so it's basically like a new Myers-Briggs, you ever remember taking the Myers-Briggs, so I remember taking the Myers-Briggs in, I don't know, high school, and they did some tests, but it wasn't until college when they really started to push these, like, strength finders or the different things. You start to learn more about yourself. It was when I entered college as the first year of the millennials and sort of like all these ways to categorize us. Well, Enneagram is one of the ways, except for it has these you know eight different modes of the Enneagram. And I've been rethinking my role in that, and as I've we've been having this small group that's been going, I'm reminded that one of mine is like a three, which is kind of like an achiever and an activator. Like, that was also one of the strengths I got when I was in college. It was like the Strengths finders, you have these things, and one of them was activator. Activators are the people that drive detail people bonkers. So if you work with me, which I'm sure Stephanie and Brittany are both laughing right now because I'm like, okay, let's just do it. Let's not even waste any time. Like, like, Let's get it done. And then all of a sudden the people around are like, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? I I was working with the conference on setting up a new database system for our Board of Ordained Ministries, helping people through the ordination process. And I'm just like, yeah, let's just do it. And I just start going there like, wait, we have to meet with the like database person and you know those are the people that drive me nuts because they like are asking all the like detailed questions that actually make a lot of sense when you ask them like well who's going to be the follow-up person and who's going to train the people and I'm like ah, it, none of that matters let's just change it let's just do it right because I and that's kind of like how I live my life it's just like go and move and do and sometimes it's hard when you're doing that to stop to recognize what is missing, what's missing. And it's the detail people that help us recognize, you know, there's more to it than just accomplishing the task. And and I use that like simple analogy, and we'll come back to it, because we're studying this phrase, shalom, which means peace. translated, it's the Hebrew word for peace. But we talked about last week, it's more than just the word peace. It's not an absence of conflict. Shalom is an idea of wholeness, of completeness. And so I talked about how we need one another last week, and that's true. We do need one another, and that's why activators, threes on the Enneagram, need the detail people really bad. But the detail people would never accomplish anything if they didn't have someone being like, we're just going to do it. We need each other, although it's painful to be around each other. So if any of that like sparks interest, come to the Enneagram small groups that are going to be happening on Tuesday, and you can kind of explore that a little bit. But this idea that peace needs wholeness or completeness is something that is so important and so valuable for how we hope to see peace in the world. And we know that it's needed all around. We open the news, and there's violence, and there's war, and there's chaos and there's you know, conflict in our own lives, and so we long for this thing called peace. But if you're like me, sometimes you move too fast that you don't recognize that missing piece or what's not there. This morning I have up here, we have up here this display and you can kind of show on the cameras, Stephanie, I don't know if you can get some of those, but, um, or someone, but we have, the, or you can just see them without the cameras, it's fine too. Um, we have these signs that are youth made for MLK parade that they went to on Monday and so they went down and they represented and these signs are awesome, I mean look at some of this, all God's children are made in God's image, love together, brothers and sisters united in Christ, you let justice roll down, it's scripture verse, they prepare prepared me for it. And then we rise and we fall together. I mean, these are awesome signs, but uh, I will say to um, all of you that when I was going into college, none of these signs were, like, on my radar at all. I remember, like, because, like, the idea of justice issues, like, what's missing just wasn't there, I was just a typical narcissistic youth, right? That was just like going through my life and just trying to do my thing and trying to understand. And I didn't really grasp the needs that were really there. I mean, surely part of it was I was a small town in Minnesota and wasn't exposed to everything going on, but also part of it just didn't take the time to see the needs around. And so it wasn't until college that I started to open my worldview, and see that there's more needs throughout the world. And when I was there, a real big thing that started to pop up was you know, fair trade coffee, right? Fair trade coffee. And I was like, what in the world is fair trade coffee? But fair trade coffee is the idea that you know people that make coffee where they're at get compensated to an amount that's similar to what you would make here. And it was just a foreign concept to me. I didn't understand the need for it. Just the other day, I was talking to my middle son, Grayson, and he was just curious about how chocolate was made, right? You know, kids are curious. But it's amazing how, like, this start with a question, and then it ends up, like, way deeper than you thought you were going to go. So it was like, what's, what's uh, chocolate made of? And then he started realizing, oh, Hawaii's the only state in the United States that can grow the cacao bean to make chocolate. And he's like, the whole world probably eats chocolate. Hawaii chocolate is what he said or the whole nation I was like no we actually just give our chocolate to tourists mostly and you know other they get their chocolate from other places and different and he's like well why would they get it all the way from Costa Rica or I think it was uh, what was it the ivory coast of Africa was the place where the cacao bean is grown the most I was like why would you get it from there and I was like well it's cheaper to get it from there than it is to get it from Hawaii And he's like, well, why is that? Don't they have to, like, get paid? And then, like, all of a sudden, it, like, got really deep into this, like, equitable compensation and why people didn't have enough. And it was eye-opening because Grayson then learned for the first time that we actually live in a very rich country and that Hawaii, to pay people to live, is very expensive, especially in comparison to other parts of the world. It was something that meets... It hits home with some of these justice issues that are mentioned on these signs that I didn't even have on my radar because I was moving too fast not to see it and I didn't pay attention to the needs. And the needs are all around us. But one of the things I started to realize when I was studying the Bible is that the Bible is concerned about the least of these Jesus says it himself over and over again, it's the least of these that matter to God. There's a phrase in theology that the heart of God is with the marginalized, the people on the skirts, on the outskirts of society, those who are down and out. And it's not to say that God's not for all of us. It's just that God has a particular passion for those that are low and needing to bring them up. And this isn't just with Jesus and His words. This is built within the Bible. I remember when I was in high school, I was spending some time at a Pentecostal church, and we would talk about prophecy. And prophecy, whenever you hear that word, you know what do you think of? Right? I think of the you know divination lady from Hogwarts, right? You know, like seeing the. I don't know if some of you might not get the reference, but seeing the future in the tea leaves in the in the cup. That, like, prophecy is about what's beyond these visions, these insights of where it is. But the book of Amos is of a prophet who actually reveals to us what a prophet actually is most of the time. That nine out of ten times prophecy in the Bible is about meeting the needs now. And Amos hits the, like, target of what it looks like because he's on the outskirts and brings the voice of God to people of that aren't following the way. And so at the time that Amos is talking, it's about like the 8th century before Christ, and uh, Amos is in a time when just after uh, Israel had split into two, so there was, you know, it used to be all Israel under King Solomon and David, and it split into the southern land of Judah and the northern land of Israel. And there was this time when the Israelites experienced the Northern Kingdom experienced this relatively prosperous time in their existence. I mean, uh, there's this king named Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was good in battle. The economy was doing well. People were, you know, getting the well-fatted calves, not just the, you know, the lean ones, or doing that. So, and they were doing good. But then, throughout his reign. He starts, they start to go through some economic crisis. And sure enough, what happens is that Jeroboam doesn't experience any of the pain and struggle because he's the king and none of his elite circle does. Who experiences the hardship? The poor. And so the hardship is on the people that didn't have enough food. And so you have the peasants that are there that didn't have enough. And here Amos speaks. He's a, a, like a shepherder, like, or like in charge of like a shepherd farm area from the land of Judah. And he sees all of this stuff that's going on. And he sees the worship that's happening. And he sees, more importantly, the injustice that's going on in the land of Israel under King Jeroboam. And he feels called by God to come and bring the message of God which is not very good for the people of Israel. It's a series of, like, this is what you're doing wrong. In fact, he goes throughout the region and starts naming, like, the Moabites and the different people and starts talking about how bad they were. You know, like, kind of the people around Israel, how bad they were. And just peripherally starts talking about their abuses and the things they do wrong. And then it's kind of, like, almost as if he makes, like, a target on Israel. And then he aims it right there and he says and they just goes into all the things that they're doing wrong. But what we see here in this chapter in Amos 5 is the heart of it. That God sees all the worship that was happening in the temple, everything that's going on, but none of it matters because of what? They have forgotten the poor. They have forgotten the marginalized and the people that did not have enough were going weren't weren't able to continue on and Amos has all kinds of things to say, but he says, Alas, God doesn't care about any of it. None of it matters if the injustice continues. That God doesn't care about your worship if justice is not included. Shalom means peace and wholeness and completeness, but without justice... Without justice, it cannot find its way. That for the people of Israel, to forget that all must have an equitable share is to forget God entirely. And Amos rails into the people, and as a reminder for not just them, I mean, some people talk about the Bible being like, you know, so far and distant." But here are the words of Amos: "800 years before Christ." Ish. And now hear them going towards some of us. How good is our worship when injustice is happening around us, he might ask? When the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, how good is our worship? And the thing about prophecy is if you like the prophecy about the visions of the future, that's cool, but prophecy it hurts especially when you're on the inside, because what usually it is is someone from the outskirts naming practices that are commonplace and calling them wrong. They're like correcting people. And being corrected does not feel good. But we need it every once in a while. The words of Amos is, you know, woe to you, O Israel. And he has all of these like woe to you. But it should call us to question, are we, you know, kind of like I was when I was moving into high school, just moving and doing our thing? And are we forgetting these things around us? And I'm so proud that our youth are talking about the issues of injustice and talking about race relations and they're learning about Martin Luther King Jr. and the reason, not just kind of on a simplified notion, And that we're doing it together as a faith body. Because God calls us to be people of justice. And one of the things that I learned, I was pastor of mission and evangelism in North Carolina, and one of the things that we loved to do there was just give stuff to people. Like, you know, help them up. Like Jesus says, give them a cup of water, give them, you know, like clothes on their back. And so we like to do a lot of this charity work. And uh, a book that came out during the time uh, when I was there uh, really ruffled the feathers of my, mission and avan- my missions committee that I was working with, and it was called Toxic Charity. <laughs> and the idea was is that we were learning that charity can create problems. And the meaning being ch- charity handouts when they don't offer people what they really need, which is dignity and self-worth and a sense of like, ownership, can be harmful for them. People can come to rely on you, or they can come to feel, you know, like littled by you, belittled, because you're up here giving them the handouts. And there's a story of a food pantry that opened up in rural North Carolina, and it was a model for what toxic charity could be and then what it could do differently and the idea was that week after week they had the people that would just come and get food from this church food pantry and they would get what they need then they would leave and they would come back and then they would leave but it wasn't until one time this fellow asked if he could help them sort the food that their mindset started to shift they're like no no no, no. you can't help right you can't help because we're serving you you know this is our do good time this is our justice time we're giving you back something. He's like, I just don't feel comfortable with just taking. And he wanted to give. And sure enough, what they found was that over the course of the next few weeks, the next few months, this person started to take more ownership. They started to have more sense of like, you know, helping others. And all of a sudden they started to realize that now he saw himself differently in relationship to them because he saw himself as a co-worker versus a, someone receiving a handout. And it changed their mentality and they said, from now on we can give charity, but all charity must lead to opportunities for people to have a sense of worth as well. And so they created a model where they could grow and they could help out or they could do other things. Similarly, one of the best organizations that I was working with in that community was an organization that gave micro-grants to people. But they didn't just give money and say, here, take it, or we think you need a car, we think you need utility money. They put them through a class on finances, and then they asked them a question, what is it that you need most? What is it that you need most? And they were often surprised at the answer they would get that they didn't realize that what they needed most was just their, like, library card. <laughs> Some form of identification because they couldn't ha- they didn't have their birth certificate, so they couldn't get their license yet. And so if they just have one form of identification, then they can get to the next. Because we don't know what others need. We're, we're, like, stuck in our own frame of mind. And so this is one of the things that... I invite us to think about when we think about shalom is to let the words of Amos sting just a little bit. Enough to make us uncomfortable to ask the question, where are the injustices around us? Where is the need? And not just to ask where and then to activate like I would do, right, and fix the problems. But to go in and to listen, to go in and to ask the questions. What do you need? How can we help you? How can we give you a voice? And to continue to remind, to teach, to connect the words of Jesus to the practicalities of life, that peace is not peace without justice, without equality, all to gather at the table. And let us never let our worship and our lives just be filled with what we need and have and kind of going in the mode. But open up the book of the prophets every once in a while. Instead of saying, they're talking about the future, or talking about people in the past, I invite you to read Amos and say, I wonder what this might mean for us. Because that's the real power of, I think, Scripture, is that over and over again, it can speak anew to new generations. And the words of the prophets might be true yet again, that we might be in need of a recalibration. And so in a country where, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, how do we as Christian community, continue to listen to the margins and to go there and to ask what is it that we need and i'm thankful that our partners in outreach here at kailua do that like we have tandana ministry and that's one of the things that they do tandana foundation when they go to mali and the continent of africa or south america to do their work and yet also, we raised $2,500 over last year that we gave to that were giving to the family resource centers for the low-income kids uh, on this region of Oahu, so in the, the Kailua, Waimanalo area. And rather than just sending them the money, Auntie Sue, and Auntie Sue's going to be working with the, uh, and the outreach team, had asked the question, what is it you need, right? How do we help you help them? And so although many of us gave that money, and I'm so thankful for that, how do we as a community get involved to not just hand the money, but to build relationships, to help people find a sense of worth, to find a sense of dignity? And we might see shalom happen more and more together in our worship and in our lives. That peace cannot come when the marginalized stay on the margins. So let us slow ourselves to hear God speak and let's listen to the words of the prophet Amos who calls out, let justice roll down like an ever-flowing stream and just wonder just for a minute, was Amos talking to me? I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, as we look at the words of the prophet and who he was speaking to, we can't help but stir with discomfort that we live in the richest country in the world, one of them. It's so easy to go throughout our lives and to miss the margins in our own midst and the margins throughout the world. Slow us so that we might never forget that peace, shalom, requires justice. As we hear the voices of those who are other or different or who have had less privilege than us, Let us not scoff or turn our heads, but press in, ask questions, provide ways for all of us to find equity, a voice at the table, to find justice. And we pray, O God, that it would roll down always and forevermore. Amen.